Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everyone. Today I want to share with you the saddest and most dismal of all of the Psalms, it is Psalm 88, which ends with the words, Darkness is my only friend. I know it sounds like a depressing episode, but wait for it. We'll get to all of that in a moment. But first, I'm excited to tell you about a book coming out in March. I have been studying and preaching from the book of Philippians for many years, and I've finally put my thoughts down on paper in a book that is entitled, Whatever Happens, how to stand firm in your faith when the world is falling apart. We're entering a very difficult election cycle, and all of us are on edge about world conditions. Plus, we also have our own personal lives to navigate. And whatever happens, I go through the book of Philippians and offer 31 actionable, practical ways to stand with confidence and excitement in times like these. You can pre-order the book now. Just go to robertjmorgan.com slash whatever happens. And while you're at it, pre-order one for a friend. Mental health issues are on everyone's mind right now. Major depression diagnoses in America have soared in the last several years, especially among teens and millennials. And of course, our pandemic didn't help any of that. According to the American Journal of Psychiatry, children as young as three are suffering clinical depression in these times. In a broader sense, all eight billion of us on this planet have moments when we feel depressed. Some of this depression is biological in nature, having to do with our hormones and with chemical imbalances and the way that we are made physically or psychologically. Some of our depression is medical. In America right now, there are more than 200 commonly used prescription drugs that have side effects that may contribute to depression. Much of our depression is philosophical, which is something most experts will not tell you. The loss of a Judeo-Christian mindset with its hopeful message has left humanity with nothing but ultimate despair. Some of our depression is clearly the results of our own sinful nature and sinful choices and sinful thinking, which leaves us separated from the God who made us and love us. Some depression is demonic because we're engaged in a warfare with a terrible enemy, and some is circumstantial. The problems and pressures and disappointments of life overwhelm us. Well, today I want to show you the most depressing passage in the book of Psalms. There are 150 Psalms, and as you may know, the Psalter, or this book of Psalms, occupies the very heart of the Bible. In other words, if you open your Bible to the middle, you come to the Psalms. These are actually songs or hymns. There is a hymn book at the heart of the Bible. The book of Psalms is the hymn book of the Hebrews. The Psalms are meant to be sung, and many of them are still sung today. The Bible tells us to sing psalms 
and hymns and spiritual songs, and because they are musical, they are emotional. Music is an emotional medium. There are 150 psalms, and they cover every possible emotion on the human spectrum. That's why we go to them so often. Some of the psalms are exuberant all the way through, such as Psalm 100 or Psalm 150. Some begin on a low note, but they work their way to a high note by the end of the passage. Psalm 73 is a great example of that. But there is one psalm that begins in depression and ends in depression, and that is Psalm 88. The psalmist went through this passage and never worked his way out of his low spirits. This psalm has the distinction of being the saddest in the entire book of Psalms. It is the only one in which there is virtually no expression of hope or optimism. The writer of this psalm was a man who felt worse at the end of it than he did at the beginning. From verse to verse, he just tumbled downhill. Well, as you can imagine, this isn't the most popular psalm. I don't know if you have ever heard a sermon on Psalm 88 or ever had a Bible study on Psalm 88. We're prone to neglect it. And yet, it is part of inspired Scripture because at some point in the lives of many of us, we find ourselves in a similar spot. We need to know what this psalm says because it contains an incredible lesson, and I want to show it to you in these next moments. Let's begin by working our way quickly through the verses of Psalm 88. If you have a Bible near you, then it's helpful to open it up, maybe. According to the heading of this psalm, it was written by a man named Heman, H-E-M-A-N, Heman the Ezraite. We don't know exactly who he was, but we know that he had some problems. He began in verse 1 saying, Lord, you are the God who saves me. And this is the emotional high point to the entire psalm. The man begins by addressing Yahweh as the God who saves him. But he goes on in verse 1 to say, in verse 2, Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. So Psalm 88 is written in the form of a prayer. Here's a man so distraught and depressed that all he can do is to find a desk and a quill and a piece of papyrus, and he composed a prayer in writing and put it in the form of a Hebrew poem. And this written prayer represents what the psalmist was saying day and night. It was the loop of his thinking. He says in verse 3, I am overwhelmed with trouble. Now, the word overwhelmed has to do with floods and with being caught up in overflowing waters. It's the idea of being swept away by a flood of pressures and problems. It's a word that occurs quite often in the entire book of Psalms, and it occurs twice in this chapter. So if you've ever felt overwhelmed, then at least you can know you're not alone. This man felt the same way. In verse 3, he said, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. He is overwhelmed with trouble. Everything has gone wrong in his life. He seems to be battling an illness that is apparently terminal. He feels like he is dying. Maybe he is. That his life on earth is nearly over. He has suffered a massive loss of physical and emotional strength. He is simply collapsing. He feels death creeping over him as though he were already as good as dead. In verse 5, he says, I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. What do you think was wrong with this man? 
We may get a clue in a moment, but he never actually describes his situation in detail because I think he wants us all to identify with him whatever our own problems may be. In the next verse, he accuses God of either causing all of his problems or at least allowing them to happen, and he is upset with God. Maybe all of us can identify with the moment when we've paced back and forth and told the Lord how upset we were at him for letting certain things happen. Well, this man did in verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. You have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath laves heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me, he says again, with, your, with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to him. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. Some people suggest this man had been diagnosed with leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy was a terrible disease because it amounted to slow death as one's body literally started decaying from the outside in until fingers and toes and hands and feet rotted away and fell off. And to make matters worse, it was thought to be so contagious that people were torn from their loved ones and isolated without human action or fellowship. You simply lived in never-ending quarantine. Well, I don't know if this man had been diagnosed with leprosy, but these verses would seem to indicate that something of that sort was afflicting him. He went on to say in verse 9, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? In other words, he's saying, Lord, what good can I accomplish in this condition? What purpose would it serve if I died? While I'm here on earth, I can call on you. I can spread my hands out to you. I can praise you. I can maybe declare your love. I can maybe preach about your faithfulness. I can maybe acknowledge your wonders. But when I die this long, slow, painful, lonely, hopeless death, I cannot do any of those things. Verse 13 but I cry to you for help, Lord, in the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? That answerless question, why? The next verse, 18, or rather verse 15, is very interesting. The man tells us that his entire life has been hard. He isn't just dealing with a new set of circumstances that have befallen him. Maybe he has had a diagnosis such as leprosy, that was simply the final nail in the coffin, so to speak. This man had never had an easy life. He had apparently never been very well. He says in verse 15, From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Even when I was a young man, I wasn't very well. And the word despair here is the translation of Hebrew term that occurs only in this spot in the entire Bible. It's such an unusual word that linguists aren't even sure how to translate it. Some verses say, or some translations say, I can't take it anymore, or I am finished, or I am helpless, or I am desperate, or I am worn out. Verse 16 says, Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. Here was a man, a worship leader, a temple musician, and his lifelong struggle with pain and illness and his recent medical or situational crisis was for him just the final straw. 
He simply said, God, I cannot take it any longer. You have destroyed me. Verse 17 says, All day long your terrors surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. The same idea as overwhelmed. And in verse 18, he ends his prayer by saying, Lord, you have taken from me, friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And with that phrase, he ends. Now, all of that sounds very depressing, doesn't it? This man cannot change his circumstances, no matter how hard he tries or how much he wants to. He cannot even seem to change his own emotions or perspective. He seems unable to lift his own spirits. And this is a realistic view of life. There are times when we cannot change our circumstances and times when we feel that we just even cannot lift our spirits. But all is not lost. As depressing as Psalm 88 seems to be, there is something very hopeful about it. There is a powerful lesson here, and I wonder if you saw it as we went through this psalm. It's that that there is one thing, in other words, that this man can do. There is one thing and only one thing he can do, and he is doing it with every verse. He is doing it in every sentence. He is doing it with every word and syllable. Did you notice that this man is praying? The whole thing is a prayer. Over and over, he tells us that he is praying. He says in verse 1, day and night, I cry out to you. He says in verse 2, may my prayer come before you. Again in verse 2, turn your ear to my cry. In verse 9, I call to you, Lord, every day. Verse 9, I spread out my hands to you. Verse 13, I cry to you for help. And verse 13 again, in the morning, my prayer comes before you. What do you do when you cannot change your circumstances or even lift your own spirits? Well, you pray. You have the lifeline of prayer. And notice how this man prayed. We can learn a lot about prayer from Heman the Ezraite. This man prayed in seven different ways. First, he prayed audibly. He said in verse 1, Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. The word cry indicates vocality, that he was praying vocally out loud. I think that most of the people who prayed in the Bible knew how to pray audibly. Somehow in our American Christian culture, we've trained ourselves to pray silently, mentally. And it's true that God can read our thoughts. But I think our thoughts are better articulated very often when they pass over our lips And if you are in a depressed frame of mind, it might help to sometimes pray audibly, orally, out loud. It makes our prayers more specific, and it reminds us, doesn't it, that we really are talking to someone who is there in the room with us, to someone who is physically close to us, listening to us. Second, this man wrote out his prayer. He took the time to gather his thoughts and composed them into a poem of prayer, which is what Psalm 88 is. He found a piece of parchment. He found a quill. He had some form of ink, and he worked on every line, every image, every word until he had a prayer that expressed his feelings and helped him to identify his painful emotions. It was a form of therapy for him. Writing out our prayers or composing them into a poem or song can be a very powerful spiritual exercise. Many of our great Christian hymns have come down to us in this way. For example, long ago in Scotland, 
There was a teenager named George Matheson. He learned he was going blind. He redoubled his efforts to get through college, but as he pursued graduate studies for Christian ministry, he became totally blind. He managed to keep his spirits up until his fiancée, unwilling to be married now to a blind man, broke the engagement and returned his ring. George Matheson never married, and the pain of that rejection never left him. Years later, when his sister, who was very dear to him, told him of her own engagement, he rejoiced with her, but his mind went back to that heartache, and the pain returned. But Matheson did what the psalmist did. He prayed, and he wrote out his prayer, and he wrote it out as a poem or as a hymn. And out of that experience, he wrote a beautiful hymn. I wonder if you know it. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in its ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. This became a beloved hymn in Scotland and around the world. Well, I'm not very much one for writing poetry. I've tried a little bit of it, but I do keep a notebook, and very often I find great therapy in writing out a prayer to God when I feel simply overwhelmed about a situation. And because Ethan found this helpful, you might as well. Third, this man offered his prayer in song. When he wrote out his prayer, he didn't write an essay or a narrative or a letter. He wrote a poem to be set to music, and he sang out the prayer. The superscription above the psalm says that it was a song for the music director to teach to the choirs of Israel. The psalms are hymns written to be sung, and there is very powerful therapeutic effect in singing out our prayers. That's the value, again, of our Christian hymnody. That's why I keep a hymn book by the desk where I have my devotions. Just today, I was with the hymn writer Keith Getty, and we talked about how important it is to have a hymn book by the table where we're sitting or by the bed where we're sleeping or at the desk where we have our devotions. One morning some time ago, I woke in a depressed frame of mind and couldn't seem to overcome it. I had my devotions, I had my prayers, I reviewed my memory verses, but my spirits were just stuck on the bottom floor of my heart. But then somehow I thought of a hymn and started singing it, and the words said, I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. All day long that hymn stayed with me, bolstering me, encouraging me, Many of our newer songs do the same thing if we really learn them and internalize them and add them to our own personal canon of worship music, the one that circulates through our hearts and stays with us for a lifetime. So create in your own mind a mental hymn book that will allow you to sing out your prayers or find some hymns when you're down and begin singing them. Fourth, this man, Heman, I said uh, Ethan, a moment ago, he's the writer of the next psalm, but this man, uh, Heman, prayed physically. He didn't curl into a fetal position or whimper out his prayers. Psalm 9 says, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. This man had been kneeling or sitting or standing, but he exerted the energy needed to lift his hands upward toward heaven and toward God and toward the source of his help and his uplifted hands maybe along with the energy that it took in his depressed state to lift them up, became a symbol of faith and of his need and of his expectancy. Do you know the people in the Bible prayed very physically? Sometimes they fell on their faces. 
Sometimes they knelt on their knees. Sometimes they walked as they prayed. Very often, they looked up to heaven. They prayed with energy, with activity. They sometimes prayed with physicality. And so here, at least in Psalm 88, this man, if he could do nothing more, lifted up his hands to heaven. Fifth, this man prayed honestly. He was not irreverent, but he was not blasphemous. But he was open and honest, and he told God exactly how he felt. He was very real in his prayer. And we have the opportunity of being the same way. Sixth, this man prayed frequently. He wasn't just sitting around moaning all the time. He said in verse 1 that he was praying day and night. He said in verse 9 he was praying every single day. And verse 13 says, in the morning my prayer comes before you. In other words, he was persevering in prayer. Even when it seemed God wasn't answering his prayers, well, he kept at it. He was like the widow in the Gospels who kept badgering the judge. He was like the neighbor in our Lord's story who kept knocking on the door. He was not going to let go of the lifeline. He just wasn't going to stop praying. And seventh and finally, this man prayed, and in his providence or in the providence of God, his prayer led directly to Psalm 89. After Psalm 88 is Psalm 89. 88 is by Heman, as I said. Psalm 89 is by Ethan. But I believe the Psalms are arranged in their order by the Holy Spirit who inspired them. I do believe the Holy Spirit had something to do with the order in which the Psalms are arranged, and commentators have long understood that if you really want to understand a psalm, you need to also notice the one that precedes it and the one that follows it. So I believe here that we can go on to Psalm 89. I believe the Lord wants us to know that we are not stuck and we will not be stuck in Psalm 88 forever. We are there sometimes, but we go on eventually by His grace always to Psalm 89, written by Ethan the Ezraite, and that particular psalm says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. It's an exuberant psalm. We are in Psalm 88 for 18 verses. We get to the last line, darkness is my closest friend. And the very next verse, Psalm 89 verse 1 says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known throughout all generations. When I was growing up, someone made a little verse from the King James Bible that we sang in Sunday school. It's a little song, and I've sang it many times, and it's from Psalm 89, verse 1. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make thy faithfulness known to all generations. Well, we encounter a lot of headwinds in life. There are a lot of difficult things we go through, and sometimes, for various reasons, we fall into some level of discouragement or despondency or depression. Everyone does, but we cannot allow ourselves to stay there. It is when we are there that we pray. We keep on praying. We tell the Lord how we feel. We pray verbally. We pray audibly. We write down our prayers. We lift our hands in prayers. We keep on praying, but we know that as we keep doing so, the Lord, in His timing, will somehow rearrange things, change the circumstances, or at least change our hearts, lift our emotions, alter our moods, and enable us to say, in the words of Psalm 89, 
I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. So I hope, my friends, that after today, you will really keep in mind the realities of there being, in the middle of the Bible, two psalms, side by side, very different, but one after the other, and both of them which we occasionally live in, Psalm 88 and 89. Well, thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me, and remember to check out my newest upcoming book. It's called Whatever Happens, and you can find information about it and pre-order it at robertjmorgan.com slash whatever happens. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company, Clearly Media, and sponsored by MP Seminars. Audio engineering and production is by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision is by Sherry Anderson. Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline, so you can find them in written form as blogs on my website at robertjmorgan.com. There are many other resources there as well, so check it out. Music is by Jordan Davis. Thank you for tuning in, and may God be with you until we meet again.